Listening to the Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two friends who've been in the same book club for almost 20 years. I'm Carrie, and even though we've been doing this show for a while, I often think to myself, geez Louise, we could not be more different. I'm a curmudgeonly cat lover, borderline antisocial, and definitely terrified when Amy says she has an idea because that usually spells trouble, the kind <laughs> that you might find in a horror novel. <laughs> It's not that bad. Come on. (laughs) I'm Amy. I want to be your new best friend, especially if you're a book lover. And maybe even if you aren't, I'm also a dog collector, a diet Coke addict. I might have a little bit of a shoe problem and I treat a good yard sale like it's a national treasure. Despite these differences, we both love wine, cheese, and talking to each other, and sometimes a special guest about books. Each week, we chat about what we're reading, as well as other bookish things, like... Authors in the news. Recent book-to-film adaptations. Weird stuff we've Googled while reading. And our TBR count. We're glad you're here. So it has been one year since Louisville welcomed a horror bookstore to its ranks of cool, independent offerings. Butcher Cabin Books is a mother-daughter labor of love. Jenny Kiefer and her mom run the show. Jenny has been a horror fan since she was a child and also happens to be a horror writer whose debut novel titled This Wretched Valley will be published in January 2024 by Quirk Books. It has a wild inspiration story, which she tells us about in this episode. And her dog, Rye, also gets in on the interview action, although his horror tale was that his dinner might be delayed, and he even gave us a few jump scares. (laughs) Butcher Cabin Books prides itself in having a large selection of books in stock from not only the big four publishers, but also small independent presses where so much of the exciting new horror literature is being produced. Via their website, you can get these indie press scary favorites shipped to your door. Last but not least, the store is sponsoring Butcher Cabin Book Fest in Lexington on October 18th from 5 to 9 at Pivot Brewing to benefit the Lexington Public Library. There will be a mass meeting of great horror writers to sign your books and chat with readers, including Cynthia Paleo, J.H. Markert, Andrew Schaefer, and Laurel Hightower. There will also be book bingo, silent auctions, and much more. So, Carrie... We are kind of stuck in the middle with this whole book trivia thing. We are destined to be mediocre. That's okay. We tried a different trivia. We we tried banned book trivia this time. At Carmichael's Books, in honor of Banned Books Week, they had a, a trivia night, and it was fun. We had It was you and I and Dee Dee Cummings, who is the founder of the Louisville Book Festival. She was on our team as well. And we came in third place. A strong third. At one point, we were in second place. And we had one round where I thought, we've gotten all these right. And it was our worst round. It yeah. was kind of weird. Like you that. Got we got cocky. cocky. Yeah. We got a little cocky. Yeah. But I was telling my husband about it. I called after I was headed home. And I said, we came in third place. And he said, oh, well, you know, first place, that's just like showing off. And second place, you know, you're trying too hard. Third place is like the the place to be yeah now yeah. he was just trying to make me feel better but we also might be a little bit of uh sore losers i don't know no he's totally right 
Like, I don't care. Whatever. You know, first place had to kill themselves to get to first. Second place, all they're doing is pining for what Mm. almost was. Third place is like, I'm just glad to be here. I'm totally down with third. Good. Well, that's we're, that's where we always are. I think we've been third place the last two times at the Foxing Bookstore trivia. Actually, I don't even night. think we made third place last time. Oh, we might not have. I, I think we were at like fourth. Fourth. Place. Yeah. Third more teams though. To- so statistically, it might be about the same. Mm, okay. Whatever you need to tell yourself. Yeah. <laughs> We had, we had a lot of recordings this week. It was your fall break. Uh-huh. And we re-recorded several episodes. And we recorded episodes with other podcasts to be on their podcasts. It was kind of busy. It was. And I did something new. I did an Instagram Live. I've never really done before. But a fellow podcaster and friend, Jennifer Calogeras from the Books Are My People podcast, suggested to both of us, but you weren't interested, which is fine, but that we do an Instagram live at the beginning of every month to say what our favorite book from the month before was. So this past Monday, we did an Instagram live talking about our favorite book of September. I was kind of nervous doing it and I have not watched it. If I watch it, I will be too much in my head and I will like hate everything about it and it's already out there. So I just might as well let it go. But if you want to, for people who want to do that, you can go back through our feed and you can you can see that Instagram live to see what my favorite book of September was. And also Jennifer's. I thought you sounded so. fine. I thought you sounded intelligent. Fine. So That's good because I felt like I was tripping over all of my words. And I do that when we record as well, but I'm able to go back and <laughs> I'm able to go back and edit and fix it. And you with make a yourself lot of sound very succinct that. in our episodes. Yeah, I do. Because I edit all that out of there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> that was fun. So we'll see what the book is for next month. Hopefully I, should... I get better at these live things. Oh, I don't know that I have told you this, but a listener wrote in to tell me about a name idea for my car. Mm. So these last couple episodes, we've been talking about how I want to give my car a name mm-hmm. because I love my car so much. <laughs> But I wanted it to be a literary name. And so uh-huh. you have given me a few suggestions, but I Which think I like this. You've shot down some of them. <laughs> well, some of them I shot down. Yeah. Like I'm not going to name my car Bertha. I'm just not going to do it. But <laughs> <laughs> this listener suggested Thursday Next, mm-hmm. who is the literary detective in the Jasper Ford the Thursday next books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And she's the literary detective and it's sort of like this alternative world where she's trying to solve literary mysteries. And I thought that was a pretty good idea. Plus Thursdays are often one of my favorite days because we have book club on Thursdays. So are you going to use, are you going to call your car Thursday? Or are you going to call it next? Are you going to call it Thursday next? Thursday next seems a little unwieldy. Mm-hmm. So I think, I might call her Thursday. Although if you say something about your car when I'm driving with you, potentially I could get confused. Like if you're talking about the car and we're talking about our schedule and you say That's Thursday, true. I could, you know, it's hard <laughs> enough. It's hard enough scheduling stuff with you without you throwing in the name of your car into the mix. So I'm just <laughs> saying. Uh, you have a hard enough time following my train of thought as oh it is. my gosh yeah uh, 
You're like, are we interviewing somebody on Friday at 10? I'm like, no, Tuesday at eight. What? Why? (laughs) You're just just all, I'm like, no, you're not even close. I mean, you are close in that it's this week, but. (laughs) Uh, That is true. Maybe I need to come up with something that cannot be confused. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. That's that's the only downside that I can see of that name. I otherwise I I love it. <laughs> but well, something we forgot to mention about the banned books trivia is that Sam Miller, who is the our favorite bookseller, she's also the store manager at Carmichael's bookstore. She asked us if she could take pictures of us with the banned book sign in front of us. Mm-hmm. We said, of course, and it's a sign that kind of looks like a. Um, like when you go to prison and you have to ho- hold this little sign that says yeah, your identification or whatever your identification. Yeah. And so the pictures that she took of us, I thought encapsulated our personalities pretty well. <laughs> the one she took of me, I'm just smiling my smile. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. She takes a picture of you and you're making this face, pointing at the thing, like you're like, just tear it all down. No, 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 no. no. I was given the love sign, the rock star. Yeah, that's the love sign. That's the love sign? Oh, okay. I didn't didn't know about the love sign. Yeah, but it's also like, I I think in like, in metal world, it's also made devil horns. I'm not sure. I just remember like 80s hair bands used to do this all the time. And it's just a little rock and roll. Uh, you okay. know, like- I think that sums us up. You're like rock and roll. And I'm, well, I mean, I know I always say I'm a golden retriever, but I'm a golden retriever. That's what I am. <laughs> the funny thing is, like when it comes to socializing, I am not a rock star. Like I don't want to be in the middle of the party. I mostly, I like to do things that people tell me not to do. So that's why I'm, that's the way in which I'm a rock star. You tell me I can't read a book, dag on it. That's the book I'm now going to read just because I'm contrary. Which is perfect for a banned books week. Yeah, it is. Trivia. It is. I love a banned book. We got our COVID booster or whatever, you know, like the new one that's supposed to keep us from getting the new version of COVID that's out. And Friday night and yesterday during the day, I was feeling a little draggy, you know, like not in bed sick, but just feeling, you know, that post vaccine, you can tell your immune system is gearing up to fight something. So Friday night, we watched The Shining based Mm. on the Stephen King novel and directed by Stanley Kubrick. My son, my middle one is kind of in a big film thing. We've been watching films all summer. And so we started by showing him some of our favorite films. So we watched Inception together and we watched Memento. And then he has been suggesting movies too. Some of them are scary. Like last night, he and Dean watched The Exorcist. And I will not watch. That's, uh-uh. But we, Friday night, we watched The Shining. He's kind of big into Stanley Kubrick films. So they watched 2001, A Space Odyssey, I think last weekend. Anyway, so we watched that. And so that was Friday night. And then yesterday afternoon... We watched Women Talking. This is me and Dean. We watched Women Talking, which is based on the novel by Miriam Tapes. And the film is directed by Sarah Poli. And I actually like the film better than the book. Well, I remember you telling me that you did not love the book. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it. But it is literally Women Talking. 
and one guy. It's just discussions. When you're reading that, that, at least for me, it got a little tedious. It became hard for me to tell who was talking. You know, I had heard people talk about the book and how good it was, and I didn't feel that way (laughs) about it. But I think because seeing it visually, like, You're not having to remember the names because you can remember the faces of the characters. And so I just felt like I understood who the women were better and their situations. I almost feel like it maybe would have been like, had it been a play that maybe would have been, which a play is kind of like a film. Uh, I, I don't know. Just for me, it worked a lot better seeing it visually than reading it. So right. if you if you read it and you were like, eh, then maybe seeing the movie will will be a better experience for you. Now, The Shining is probably my favorite horror movie ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember, did I watch the film first or did I read the book first? And I cannot remember. But I will say Stephen King really hates the Stanley Kubrick version. Really? I, yeah, he he loathes it, but oh. I cannot remember why. Maybe I'll look it up right now as we're talking. Maybe so, maybe you should. So, so tell me tell me your thoughts on it while I'm looking it up. Um, so I have not read the book, but I thought somewhere that I had heard or read that. So I know Stephen King had a drinking problem, a bad drinking problem, and I had kind of, and maybe this is urban legend, but I had under, understood that like the whole point of The Shining is that it was about the characters drinking and Mm -hmm. and sort of the horror of that. And that is referred to in the movie. But the way the movie ends, it makes you think that it's not really that at all. I thought that watching it as a person who... I don't know, modern woman in 2023 watching it. You know, if my husband talked to me the way he talks to her in that film, she waited a long time to get out of bat is all I'm saying. Like I would have taken a bat to him way sooner, like long before. And her arms were a little floppy and that kind of bothered me. Her wrists were a little floppy. She did not like her floppy arms. She needed to do some more strength training. Is that what you're saying? Well, she was just like, imagine my arms floppy and I'm (laughs) carrying a bat in one and I'm running. One wrist is holding the bat and the other one is just flopping. It's just flopping. That's, (laughs) come on. I don't know. know. I think that Shelley Duvall is also the one who played olive oil in the Popeye she movie did. with Robin Williams. She did, yes. And I think she had to have noodle arms in that, too. I don't know. I guess the thing was, she represented a woman who was weak. Not just physically weak, but for, like too long in the movie, she was like emotionally weak. And I feel like I just wanted her to bring the rage. She was too nice. I really wanted yeah. her to bring the rage. And so that kind of drove me a little crazy. And I, I just got to the point where I'm like, if you're not just going to kill him, I'd, I'd, I'm not even here for it. <laughs> like, so I am looking up why Stephen King disliked this movie. And it was about the alcoholism, that this is a little bit of a personal story, mm-hmm. that Stephen King had a real drinking problem. So he sees the character of Jack Torrance as an okay guy who is sort of 
caught in this bad situation in this hotel. Whereas the way Stanley Kubrick filmed it with Jack Nicholson, you kind of think he's like a little bit of a maniac from the start. That's not the way he wrote it. Yeah, it also says in here that Wendy, he doesn't care for how the movie makes her seem weak compared to the book. He considers Wendy to be more dynamic and a personable character in the book. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so it sounds like Stephen King and I are on board. We are on the same train going in the same direction. Yeah. You know, you have some sort of inside look at Stephen King's brain, and I am That's a little frightening, actually. That is a little frightening. Okay, so this this weekend, right, I watched a movie about women, women talking, and I watched a horror movie. And so if we take those and we did like a weird mashup, we would have what is essentially our interview with Jenny Kiefer this week. Because But Jenny Kiefer does not have noodle arms. That's right. Man, it was women, three women, you, me, Jenny, talking about <laughs> horror. Okay. Very good. <laughs> That should be the title of the show, Women Talking Horror. There we go. That's a good, I like that. We're excited to have Jenny Kiefer with us. She is the owner of Butcher Cabin Books and a horror writer. And she's had a a bit of a chaotic day, but she was able to join us. So we're, we're happy to talk to you, Jenny. Yeah, glad to be here. So we were all super excited here in Louisville whenever a new bookstore opens. And so when Butcher Cabin Books opened, how long have you been open now? A year? About 11 months, almost exactly. We opened October 15th. Exciting. So tell us a little bit about why you started the bookstore. And I really need to know where the name Butcher Cabin Books came (laughs) from. Um, We decided to start it because, as you said, I'm a horror writer. And as a horror writer, I was, you know, really getting into the horror writing scene. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff being done and produced by smaller publishers and indie presses. Indie press is a big facet of horror publishing right now. Um, I think it is getting bigger. So we are seeing more in like the big four. But for the most part, I would say there is quite a lot coming out of smaller presses. And I guess part of it was that I really like that experience of going into a bookstore and sort of being able to look around the shelves and discover something new that I didn't know existed and being able to, you know, like read the back of it, hold it, see what the typeface is like, scan through it maybe if I wanted to. And even with some of the bigger four published books as in horror It was still sort of hard to find in bookstores, even like Barnes and Noble and some of the bigger ones. I don't think they even until the past few years had a horror specific section. And it's been the same with like some larger, but like more general or like all genre indie bookstores where you would have to go around and they might have a sci-fi section. So you'd have to check that and it might not be there. It might be in the general fiction section or it might be in a totally different section, depending on how they put together their stores. And I would say it's probably more likely now that it's getting larger, that there would be more likely to be horror sections, even in smaller indie bookstores that have like all genres. But that was the main reason, just wanting to give shelf space to those smaller publishers that are doing really good work and have 
people be able to have that experience of coming into the store and discovering them. And the name comes from, no, I will say that I don't think I'm very good at naming things, but when we were <laughs> um, researching the building, we found that it was originally a butcher store. And mm. the inside, if you, I assume you've been there before, the inside has yeah. wood paneling that was actually original to the space when we moved in. And we just kept it because cabins are a big trope in horror. And, you know, we were like, well, then we don't have to like put drywall up and paint. We can <laughs> just like <laughs> have a, a step already done for us. So that's sort of how it came to be. It was like butcher cabin books, taking a nod from the um, original business that was in that space and the paneling on the walls. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Like use what you have. Don't make any extra work for yourself unless you absolutely have to. I'm down with that. <laughs> so when you found out that it was a former butcher shop, were you like, ah, this is the place it's meant to be? Well, actually we didn't really pick the space because my business partner, who's my mom, my parents own the building. So we sort of just got lucky because they were thinking about getting a tenant in there. And I, you know, sort of was talking to my mom and said, I'd love to open a bookstore. And so we figured, well, you know, they have the space. They are kind of looking for a tenant. So we figured we would just try it out and see what happens. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the I think the business works for us because we have all of those things that unfortunately a lot of other people aren't going to have if they wanted to try to start a similar venture. I mean, we have had people reach out to us and ask for, you know, advice and stuff. And I'm always happy to talk to them, but I always do preface it with like, hey, we had, you know, all of this stuff in place that helps, you know, save us a lot of money that you're probably not mm -hmm. going to have when you start this. You know, obviously we still had some hurdles getting everything set up, but we, pay we paid like a, a tax professional to help us set up the business and do those sort of things. And my other half of the business partnership, my mom is um, like an accountant by trade. You know, you have a really amazing paint job <laughs> on the outside of the store. Describe it for us, but also tell us why you decided to, to do that. So on the outside of the building, it's um, like cinder block. When we took over the space, it was just white. It was pretty small. It was in between Fat Rabbit and um, which is yellow and then the, what used to be Lynn's Paradise Cafe which it's now Big Bad Breakfast but so you've got like the former Lynn's space which is very eclectic and has an interesting sort of architecture and a big parking lot and then on the other side you had Fat Rabbit which was bright yellow and then you had our building in the in between those two which was just this small white painted cinder block space and I feel like it kind of disappeared almost so it was this almost invisible space. So I knew I wanted to paint it something in some way, just even so people can like in town who drove past, but I get a little hyped and be like, oh, something new is coming there. Like, I don't remember that building being there. And so we tossed around ideas. You know, I think one of our ideas was like, maybe we could paint a forest, go with like the cabin in the woods sort of vibes. But I didn't really want to spend a lot of time painting trees. One of us mentioned Goosebumps, and the books have that drip theme to it. Mm -hmm. We painted a bright, like, cherry red drip on 
the front of it. I wanted it to be like sort of cartoony. So it's very enlarged. It's not like we, you know, drew a paintbrush across the brick and just let it have those like really tiny drips. It's a very stylized drip, like the Goosebumps books magnified. And a lot of people say like, oh, like red for blood, which I guess is true. But I I don't remember exactly why we settled on red and not like purple or green. (laughs) So (laughs) when I see it, I'm like, oh, blood. yay! (laughs) It's very striking. You're right. You can't miss it. You know, you definitely achieved on on that that score. That's for sure. So have you always been a fan of horror and what books got you, you know, what got you started in that genre? Um, I think I've always read horror or like darker literary works. My mom has always loved Halloween. And so she sort of passed that down to me. Um, She would hand make our Halloween costumes every year. And we would always go to like Otter Creek for camping during their Halloween weekend. And I just had that, you know, standard pipeline of scary stories to tell in the dark, graduate to Goosebumps, graduate to Fear Street, and then, you know, just like on up. I would say when I was in around high school and maybe college, I was reading more literary classics, but I would say they were always still in that sort of gothic, dark realm, like Southern Gothic. I really liked Faulkner Mm. and anti-war books like Catch-22 and Slaughterhouse-Five. So I think... I've just always trended towards darker and gothic fiction. I I read a little bit of horror, not a whole lot, but I, I'm always kind of amazed by how many subgenres there are. You know, there's slasher, there's body horror, apocalyptic horror, Lovecraftian horror. Do you have a, a favorite subgenre that you tend to gravitate towards? Um, I definitely think I tend to gravitate towards par- anything paranormal more so than mm-hmm. sort of real life thrillery type things or I don't even really personally enjoy books that are disease or pandemic there are a few in there that I've enjoyed like I really love The Troop by Nick Cutter but for the most part I think I do tend to gravitate towards paranormal and not just ghosts but just like weird things are happening that aren't rooted in reality like there's a book called Bunny that I'm rereading right now that's like kind of dark academia but it's also kind of like making fun of that I guess that's not a great example because it's hard to talk about without spoiling it but it starts off more in that realism and then very quickly just becomes very much outside of reality just like really wild stuff happens that's the Mona Awad yes is that the author yeah okay and another one I really love is called We Need to Do Something by Max Booth III, which is about a family who is trapped in their bathroom after a tornado. And it just is not a normal tornado and just weird things start happening, but they're stuck in the bathroom. So they experience things through the little bit of the door that they can open and, you know, things like that. Ooh, being trapped in my bathroom sounds kind of awful way especially with your family i mean anybody (laughs) not just your family but i mean anybody like if i was trapped in a small bathroom with my three kids and my husband and our two cats that would be like a recipe for disaster like (laughs) i'm curious uh jenny when you're picking books you know that you're going to carry in the bookstore 
like, have you gotten a sense in terms of like the people who, who shop at the stores? Are there any subgenres that you see like, oh, these are really popular or, you know, people are asking you to order certain books from certain subgenres? Do you see any patterns like that? Um, I mean, I think it's just totally all over the board. I would say we sell a very wide variety of books every week. You know, if there's like a really big new release, like Camp Damascus came out a couple months ago, or like Boys in the Valley, we had an event with Philip Fricasi, uh, 101 Horror Books to Read Before You're Murdered by Sadie Hartman. So if there's like a new release that's really popular, like we might sell a lot of copies of those in a week, but for the most part, we sell like I said, like a pretty wide variety of titles each week. I don't really think I see any clustered genres, which I think is is nice. Yeah, I think this would be hard. You know, I've talked to Mm -hmm. people who own boutiques where they sell clothes. And I think their desire is to buy things that they like. Mm -hmm. But in order to, you know, meet the needs of your clients, you have to buy things that you might not like, but that other people would like. So do you find yourself ever struggling with that? I think a little bit. I mean, if a customer comes in and like recommends a title, I'll usually like look it up and I'll order like a couple copies of it. But we're a pretty small team. So I know that like I'm going to miss some titles, even new titles, because I'm the main person who curates what we have in the store. My business partner helps with that as well. But I feel like I'm the I'm the person who does it the most. So sometimes I'll miss a title or not be aware of something. But usually we have customers who like recommend things and then we can do a little bit of research and decide to order copies or not. And I think it goes the other way too, where sometimes like I'm really excited about a title or something in the store and it doesn't really sell well. Well, this example, I feel like part of it is just the market for it hasn't been reached, but we have a small selection of horror movie soundtracks on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Waxworks. And Waxworks is really great, and I love them, and so I was so excited to get that in the store. And it just hasn't really sold well, and it's kind of this catch-22 where I think there is a market for it in Louisville because Louisville has such a big horror community and Halloween community, and so I think there's a market for that. I could be wrong, but I, you know, I'm a vinyl collector and I've been to a lot of the record stores in town and I don't think I haven't seen any Waxworks titles at those stores. So we might be one of the only distributors for Waxworks in town. So I think there is a market for it. I think we just haven't reached the people because I feel like sometimes that's a slightly separate market to book readers. Mm -hmm. So I think we are still trying to figure out how we can reach that crowd to let them know it's there and it's also become this sort of catch-22 of like well maybe if we could build if we built it out a little bit more we would sell more but I also don't want to spend a ton of money on stock that's just going to sit there when it's not selling well right now well and you have such a small amount of space you know compared to larger bookstores and so you know you really have to curate things which uh, you know, brings me to my next question, which is the books are that you sell, are they mainly for adults or do you have children's books up? Because I know that like some people's first introduction to scary stories would be like scary stories you tell in the dark or R.L. Stein, and then they're sort of hooked from then on. So what, what does your, you know, age range of your inventory look like? Yeah, we have um, books for all ages. 
I would say the majority of the store is for adults, but as you said, it's really small. We do have board books and picture books for children. We have middle grade books and we have YA section. And I would say that most of our middle grade section and the kids, the picture books and board books, a lot of that is used books. We do have some new titles, but it's like I said, we're such a small team and I don't personally read picture books or I don't have kids right. and it's like harder for me to curate those things. But we do have some new titles in there like Ghost Girl by Ali Malinenko and we have like Coraline by Neil Gaiman. I'm wondering a little bit about starting a bookstore that's dedicated to a specific genre because that's kind of become a thing, you know, they're popping up in larger cities and, and now Louisville. Um, there's also a new romance dedicated bookstore now that's in town. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what the benefits are to having very directed stores like that. You talked about that a little bit, like, you know, being able to stock independent books. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Almost. <laughs> it's almost his dinner time. So he's very anxious <laughs> to eat. Yeah. So those are like, they're small presses. We do have some that are just like a single person, but those are mostly or consigned works where the author like sends us copies. And then once they sell, we sort of split the profits or split the cost. There's like some small presses like Ghoulish Books, which is run by Max Booth III, who wrote that book that I mentioned earlier. I think that one's been going for quite a while. So he publishes multiple people. Like he publishes Laurel Hightower, who's a Kentucky author. And he also publishes Jessica Leonard, who's another Kentucky author. Interestingly, that's based out of Texas. And he publishes Texas authors, but sort of just all around the country. And they do like anthologies. And there's also Tenebris Press, which is, I think it's partly based out of Portland and partly based out of Romania, like the two editing team. I think the the main editor is in Romania and then like the publisher is in Portland. But they they publish a lot of novellas, like very short things. Yeah, so we mostly, we try to get those smaller presses on the shelves. And I think just the, the niche bookstores sort of allow you to to do that, to dedicate more shelf space to older works, even it just allows you to like have a larger section of whatever genre in one place, as opposed to a bookstore like Carmichael's, which is great. But so like we, we always feel like we have limited shelf space, but our store is entirely one genre. And then you think about like a store like Carmichael's that sells all genres and they, per genre have an even smaller amount of shelf space dedicated to each genre. So I think it would be even harder to curate in a more general bookstore per genre because you do, you might have like two shelves that you can dedicate to that one genre. So I see why those smaller presses would get pushed out because they just only have so much shelf space. And so with those two shelves, they have to sort of battle like, okay, we've got all of these amazing new releases, but we also have these older titles that people are still interested in buying. And so they have to really have, I think, have a harder time balancing. And I think that's why these genre bookstores are kind of popping up right now or becoming popular is because we can dedicate more space to one genre and not have to quite as direly play that game of shelf space you've been in business now for 11 months. What what would you say the 
I, I mean, hopefully there haven't been too many pitfalls, but, you know, are there any disadvantages that you've discovered? So I think right now we are still a very small team. It's just my mom and I running it and working. We don't have any employees. Right now we both still have day jobs outside of the bookstore. Any profit that the bookstore makes goes back into the bookstore. So I think that makes it hard because we're only able to be open for like four days a week because of that. And, you know, we, we want to eventually hire someone, but because we're such a small team and we both have day jobs and like other things, like I have, you know, my writing career on top of all of that, that gets pushed down to the bottom of the list of all the things that we need to do right in a day right. or in a week. So I think right now, I think our struggle is just... <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I I love this because it's like almost jump scares yeah. when we're recording, <laughs> which I think is so appropriate. <laughs> I think right now our main struggle is just the team being so small. You're hosting a book festival on o- October 18th in Lexington. Yes. Tell us tell us all about that. So the book fest is a mass author signing event so you can go on our instagram or our website um there should be a tab that says book fest and you can see what all authors are going to be there we have cynthia paleo who is a bram stoker award-winning author of fiction and poetry and we have tim wagner who's also a bram stoker award winner and we've got some local authors like andrew schaefer who wrote secret santa he also does like political thrillers, like he did um, yeah. one about Bernie Sanders, and I think he did a couple about Obama. And um, we'll have J.H. Marquette, who did The Nightmare Man. So yeah, I'm really excited about the authors that we'll have. We'll have Laurel Hightower there. Um, she wrote Below, and she has, I think, a new new one coming out with Flame Tree Press. So So part of it is a mass author signing where people can either bring books they already own or we'll have books for sale and they can get them signed by all those authors and sort of like hang out and meet the authors. Part of the event is to benefit the Lexington Public Library. So we will have a bingo event where you can purchase bingo cards and win some prizes. And some of the prizes are from Butcher Cabin Books and some of them are from like local businesses around Lexington or Kentucky. So we'll have um, like restaurant gift cards that are in Lexington. We have a first edition, first pressing of a Stephen King book. I believe it's different seasons. And is this being held at the library? Where is it being held? It's being held at Pivot Brewery in Lexington. So you can come down and like get a beer, get some food delivered there from the food truck, hang out and play bingo and meet some authors. So your novel, This Wretched Valley, that does come out in 2024, yeah. can you give us a I guess elevator pitch to, <laughs> to get us enticed so we yes. add it to our TBRs? So This Wretched Valley, it comes out January 16th, 2024. If you pre-order it from anywhere, you can, in the next couple of months, sign up with Quirk Books, who's the publisher to get some pre-order perks. I think they're doing a branded carabiner and I think a signed book plate. But it's inspired by the Jatloff Pass incident. And it's about four people who go into the woods of Kentucky, two graduate students and two climbers. And they think that they are 
going in to develop or discover a new rock climbing spot, but actually they're being lured into this area by a, a cursed, sentient piece of land that is hungry and wants to eat them. <laughs> oh my wow. goodness. And and what incident did you say this is? The Jatloff Pass incident. There were some hikers in Russia in the 50s. Um, they were experienced hikers, and they went on this trip into the mountains, and they didn't come back. They sort of disappeared. And so in the spring, you know, a lot of the snow had melted their bodies were discovered in just really bizarre ways. Like I think one was discovered, like his tongue was missing, his eyes were missing. There was Mm. like, it looked like they had cut from inside of the tent to get out. But then some of the bodies were found, looked like they were trying to go back to the tent. Some were like naked and some like looked like they had put on clothes with the other one. So it's just like really weird. And nobody really knows like what happened to them. Obviously my book is not, about that specific incident it was just inspired by that incident and creating a situation where experienced hikers go into the woods and then their bodies are found a long long time later like in just really weird and puzzling conditions and so the book actually starts with the bodies being found and then sort of backs up and the reader gets to learn what happened but you know the people the investigators or people in the story don't ever get to learn what happened (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, we'll have to put a link to because I'm going to be going down a serious rabbit hole <laughs> on this, but we'll put a link to one of the articles about this. I'd never heard of it before. So very yes. cool. And if you do pre-order from my bookstore from Butcher Cabin Books, you can get just our, our standard pre-order it has those two quirk things, but also like the your copy will be signed and you'll get some art prints made by me. And then we do have a deluxe edition that's a little bit more expensive and you get all of that plus a custom blend of tea by sis got tea and a t-shirt designed by me oh wow Very cool wow man sold <laughs> <laughs> well that is awesome well now's a good time to take a break okay. reese Thanks needs to take a is. break and get fed when we come back we're all going to talk about what we're reading We are back with Jenny Kiefer of Butcher Cabin Books and the author of This Wretched Valley and with Carrie. Carrie, do you have any spooky books? What have you been reading? Well, it's not spooky, although it is about a monster. So I read Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes, and it is the story of Medusa and her birth and her life with her sisters. But it's also about Perseus and his background. And it's also about Athena and her background. So the big takeaway, I think, from this book is that Greek gods were complete a-holes who raped anyone and possibly everyone. Like, that's all they did is they just (laughs) raped people. What what you kind of need to know to understand this story, Poseidon raped Danae, Perseus's mother. Poseidon also raped Medusa, but he did it in Athena's temple. And Athena got mad, not at Poseidon, but at Medusa, and set the curse upon her, which, you know, as the story goes, the curse is what made her, instead of hair, she had snakes growing out of her head. And if she looked at somebody, she would turn them to stone. She was immortal. But she was also a Gorgon and her sisters had like wings and 
snake hair. So it's unclear whether this was actually a curse or whether it just sort of caused Medusa to come into her own as a Gorgon. So I really love retellings. This one, though, you know, I've read several different ones and they tend to be kind of serious. And this one felt a little bit lighter, a little sort of absurd or humorous. And at first I was like, what is going on here? (laughs) Because it was so different from the other ones that I've read. But then I started researching and Natalie Haynes, the author, is both a comedian and a classicist. And I was like, well, that's a really interesting combination. Hmm. So at that point, I was like, oh, I see. You know, so she was giving the story, but doing it with a lighter hand than what I have seen other authors do. So it was just very different from what I had read. You know, I, I love these retellings because if you're like me and you've read like the Edith Hamilton stories about myths and they never fully stick in your head, reading a longer book does the job for me. And if you're interested in Medusa, you know, it, it she's always portrayed in stories as being this hideous, evil creature. But then when you read about it, it's like, well, no wonder she was she was pissed off. Pe- yeah, I mean, I would be too if if Poseidon raped me and then Athena got mad at me for something Poseidon did. But even so, in this story, she doesn't really want to hurt anybody. So Stone Blind by Natalie Haynes. Highly recommend. Uh, Jenny, let me guess. Have you been reading a horror book? Uh, yes, I have been reading. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you've been reading. I have been listening to a lot of audiobooks um, while I walk my dog. Like I said earlier, I'm currently rereading Bunny, which is a book that I love. And it's one that I think that some people might not classify as horror, but if it's not horror, then it's horror adjacent for sure. But I actually want to talk about, I think that my, the best book that I've read so far this year, which is called The Marigold by Andrew F. Sullivan. And that came out this year in April. It's set in Toronto. And it's essentially about this building called the Marigold, which is like a high rise sort of luxury condo building. But one thing that I really love about this book is that he uses a very unique or, I guess, different storytelling methods. So there's multiple points of views, but in interspersed between those points of view, he has like these little vignettes where he basically tells the story of one of the suites or one of the condos in the building. And it's just like this little bitty five page description or like story, almost like a flash fiction or a short story about just like the resident of, you know, like suite 1002 and how they are affected by the weird things happening in the city and in the building. And I really enjoyed that. And also the um, points of view were really interesting because it was almost like it's almost like three or four different stories happening concurrently and then as the book goes on they sort of like join get closer and closer together until they all collide one of the points of views is from like an uber driver who drives around toronto one is from this pair of researchers who work for the city who are investigating this weird fungus that's taking over the city um and there's one that's like teenagers who live in the city and i don't even know anything about toronto but it's very much one of those books where the city is a character in itself almost 
But in Andrew Sullivan's writing is super gorgeous. It's very beautiful without sort of pushing into that purple territory where you're like, okay, this is pretty, but I don't know what's actually going on. (laughs) (laughs) He's very good at finding that balance. And I would highly recommend other people to check out The Marigold by Andrew F. Sullivan. Cool. Hmm. I've already added it to my TBR. (laughs) It's got a very cool cover, too. Yeah, the cover is great. It's And what's really interesting is he said that one of his friends left the book like in their store window and it faded and like all the pink went away, but the yellow stayed. Well, Amy, do you have something horrific? I don't know that it's horror, but it's definitely creepy. I'm going to talk about a book called Sadie by Courtney Summers. It was published 2018. I heard about this one because it was recommended to me uh, as an audiobook, and that's how I read it. And I'm always on the lookout for good audiobooks. Uh, this story has a very unique structure. It's in the form of a true crime podcast that's exploring the disappearance of a 16-year-old girl named Sadie and the death of her younger sister in a fire that happened months before. And we have alternating points of view as the host of the podcast interviews different people involved in Sadie's story and follows clues to try to find her. But the other chapters are Sadie's point of view. And Sadie and her younger sister, Maddie, they had lived in a trailer in Colorado after their mother deserts them. And then there's also a a woman who's sort of like a grandmother figure, although she isn't really related to them, but she sort of keeps an eye on them. And she's the one who hires this investigative journalist who has the podcast to try to track Sadie down. And the younger sister, Maddie was found burnt up in a neighboring barn. And that's when Sadie disappears and she's trying to seek revenge for her sister's death. Sadie is a tough girl. She's raised her little sister almost by herself. And she has a very pronounced stutter that has made her the object of ridicule by those that she's gone to school with. But she is very determined. But you could tell that she's also just looking for someone to care about her. She has a hard shell that's sort of like the soft marshmallow inside. There is a hodgepodge of other characters who see Sadie as she crosses Colorado looking for the man she believes killed her sister. The adoptive grandmother is really looking for closure. And the grandmother is adamant that Sadie is still alive. And the journalist is trying to solve this mystery. And he's often frustrated because it seems like the trail often runs cold. So this is a mystery that's wrapped up into a revenge fantasy. But I really like the format of this because it's really in, it's a really intense book. But by using this podcast host private investigator thing, it gives you different perspectives, but it also sort of breaks up the tension a little bit. I will say this is a YA thriller, but... I would say I don't normally give trigger warnings, but there is sexual assault, pedophilia, and bullying in this. I don't normally like to read things that have sexual assault or, I mean, certainly not pedophilia. So I would caution on that, but the audiobook is excellent. There is a full cast for this, uh, and it sounds a little bit like a podcast, and it was a really great listen. But I would say that the, the, the writing was really good. So even though it was about a subject matter that isn't really something I tend to like to read, I stuck with it, and I really enjoyed it. So again, the name of that is Sadie by Courtney Summers. And I just wanted to mention, I read, I don't normally read picture books, but I read a picture book the other day that would be perfect 
for people who like horror, uh, for Halloween, or for people who have kids who like something that's a little darker. It's called The Skull by John Klassen. And it's based on an Austrian folktale, but it's about this little girl who runs away into the forest and she sees this house and there's a skull sitting up on the, uh, on the windowsill. And so she starts talking to the skull and the skull is afraid of something. And so together they sort of conquer their fears. If you look at the cover of the book, I mean, the, it's kind of a creepy book, but it, it's so cool. <laughs> I loved it. I think we, it might, scare some kids, even though there's nothing really scary about it if you don't associate skeletons or skulls with things that are scary. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we've sort of put those meanings onto things, but if you're a kid and don't know that those things are supposed to be scary, it wouldn't necessarily be a scary book. But the illustrations are, are sort of like dark and brooding. And But I really enjoyed it. So, you know, if there's some picture book lovers out there, check out The Skull by John Klassen. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to hear another book recommendation, a five-star read. After that, we'll be back to put Jenny in the hot seat for mm-hmm. The Fast and the Furious. Hi, everybody. My name is Asia, and I'm from Germany. I absolutely adore the Thursday Murder Club series by Richard Osman. And of course, the latest installment, The Last Devil to Die, did not disappoint. The series follows absolutely unhinged, but very kind pensioners who investigate murders as well as other criminal activities in a small English town. The Last Devil to Die, just like other books in the series, is fun and warm despite being a mystery novel where someone or several someones are very obviously murdered. The characters are compassionate, witty, and so achingly human, each dealing with their own tragedies, but never losing good spirits. Well, maybe just a little, and maybe when they're alone. And while this is a great crime fiction novel with twists and turns that are never so common, relationship dynamics between the characters here is just as amazing. Not gonna lie, I laugh like a maniac and cry like a baby every time I open a new Thursday Murder Club book. So, cannot recommend it more to the fans of crime fiction and found family tropes. Bye! We are back with Jenny Kiefer, the owner of Butcher Cabin Books in Louisville, Kentucky. We are going to ask you some Fast and Furious questions. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. So which is better for you, a haunted house or corn maze? Haunted house. Best scare you've ever had? Oh, and I don't know. I don't get scared very easily, but I will say that after I, I saw It Follows in a movie theater, and I think afterwards I had feeling of dread driving home, and you like see people walking on the street. They all look like creepy, like especially creepy after you see a movie like that. Yeah. Okay, I've got to share my best scare that I've ever had. It's so lame, but I got to tell you. So when I was a kid, they would have these little small carnivals come to the high school. I grew up in Oklahoma and they would come to Southern High School and they would set up in the in Southern's parking lot. And so there was the fun house. It was not fun for me. And so you walked in. It wasn't actually even, I don't think, supposed to be scary. But you walk in and you you open up the door and you shut the door behind you. And it was pitch black. And I was with a friend of mine and I was making her go in front. 
And I went back out because I was like, what do we do? It's dark. We can't see anything. And so I opened up the door and I said something to the guy, you know, who was probably a teenager or whatever. And I said, what are we supposed to do? And he was like, you just move forward. So went back in, shut the door. It's pitch black. So we start, she's in front, start shuffling our feet, kind of walking forward. And apparently like you would, when your foot, when you stepped on this, whatever sensor, everything lit up and, and there were like these scary laughs and it was really loud. And I jumped on her back and peed on her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. Okay. Amy, do you have a best scare? Can you top that, Amy? Uh, I don't think I can top that. I mean, <laughs> I I can't think of a best scare. Well, you know, scary books don't scare me nearly as much as like a scary movie does. But I I think I've told you this story, Carrie. But when I was watching the, the series, The Haunting of Hill House, and there's this character that's the bent neck lady the bent neck lady really like freaked me out I don't know why but I was watching it with my husband and whenever we were watching it I would fight if, if we'd have to stop the tv so I could go to the bathroom I'd make him walk me to the bathroom which is just like I mean it's I don't know it's like a hundred feet from where the tv is to the bathroom but I would make him walk me because the bathroom is right next to the set of steps and in the series the bent lady was often up at the top of the steps Mm. so i don't know if that's the biggest scare i've ever had but uh the most recent maybe it's the maybe the most recent yeah okay okay number three what's the worst halloween candy the like mary jane's i guess those like Mm. really hard peanut butter things oh yeah and and they're in orange wrappers or black wrappers right yeah Oh, yeah, those are terrible. I agree with that. My problem is I like most of the Halloween candy. And if I buy it too soon, then I will start to eat it. So I always buy candy that is not my favorite. So I always like the chocolatey kind of stuff. I used to buy like Smarties and Dum Dum things. And my husband would say, that is the worst candy. Nobody wants that candy. Don't buy that candy. Unfortunately, then if I buy other stuff, then I want to eat it. Yeah. All right, Jenny best halloween candy i like snickers or regular twizzlers what's the your favorite halloween costume you've ever had um when i was in high school i was britney speared so (laughs) i i don't think it was like very glamorous but i had you know i was dressed up like britney spears but i had spears going through me and my mom like i said earlier my mom when I was growing up always either helped or created our Halloween costumes. So I think we we went to like the hardware store and we found these hype fittings or something. And so like we connected those to a belt, got some fake spears and like split those in half. So it looked like they're going through me. Oh my I, gosh. I love the homemade Halloween costumes. I think they're much better than the bot costumes. Although buying one is so much easier. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to to chat with us. It's been a lot of fun and can't wait to see um, your book come out in January. Yeah, thanks so much. You can find Jenny Kiefer on her website at JennyKiefer.com or at Butcher Cabin Books at HorrorBookstore.com. She's also on Instagram at HorrorBookstore and underscore Jenny Kiefer. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. 
We are also on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod and on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover. And don't be scary or spooky. If you like what we're doing at the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. I'm not sure that made any sense, but I use spooky and scary in it, so that's good. (laughs) Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live, or in archives at forwardradio.org. 